Well, this morning we are progressing through our look at First John, and this morning the uh, the verses that we're going to be looking at are verses uh, chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty seven, and uh, let's read it together. And then after we read it, um, there's some things I want to start talking about. Chapter two. Verses 18 through 27. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. So the word wording in mind might be a little bit different from what you have. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write, you these th- I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and it is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Just a few verses. Didn't take long to read, less than five minutes. But I spent, oh, about eight hours on Thursday studying these words, and I have mulled over them since then. And I learned a lot as I was studying this week in just these short little verses. And I want to share with you some of the things that I learned as I studied. So look at the screen, if you will. Um, This comes out of Mark chapter 13. Jesus is speaking. At that time, someone might say to you, look, there's the Christ. Or another person might say, there he is, but don't believe them. False Christs and false prophets will come and perform great wonders and miracles. And they will try to fool even the people of God. Excuse me, even the people God has chosen, if that was possible. So be careful. I have warned you about it all before the, I mean, about all this before it happens. That was Jesus talking, Mark chapter 13, verses 21 to 23. Another one comes out of 2 Thessalonians. Do not let anyone fool you. By the way, this is Paul talking now, the Apostle Paul. Do not let anyone fool you in any way. That day of the Lord will not come until the turning away from God happens And the man of evil 
who is on his way to hell, appears. He will be against and put himself above any so-called God or anything that people worship. And that man of evil will even go into God's temple and sit there and say that he is God. This is John, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica about a future time when somebody's going to set himself up as God. In the book of Daniel, the last of the great, of the, of the great prophets in the, in the Old Testament, Chapter 12, verse 11. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. And what the reason I included this one is there's this concept that talks about the abomination that makes desolate or the abomination of desolation. And you've probably read that before and not knew what it was, had no idea. So let's go on. And then in the New Testament, John again wrote the Revelation, and in chapters 12 and 13, and we don't have time this morning to read all of chapters 12 and 13, but in Romans chapter 12 and 13, John talks about the Antichrist. Now, we read in the book, in the the first John, chapter 2, we read John talking about the Antichrist and Antichrists. Then we saw that Jesus talked about In Mark, in the translation I was reading from, it said a false Christ. Uh, Paul talked about the man of evil, the one who, um, and and again, it depends on which translation you're reading. And then um, the last one we looked at talked about the guy that set himself up as God. And then there there was the the, the abomination, Daniel. What was Daniel's? I don't have it in in front of me. Sorry, let me back it up. The abomination, that was the word I couldn't think of. The abomination that makes desolate. Okay? Now, let me explain what all that is, and then you'll, you'll see what these words mean in just a second that I have up on the screen. There is a, a theology, there is a, a doctrinal idea that at the end time, now, what is the end time? We're not, we're not going to go there this morning. But at the end time, the end of the age, something is going to happen, and some event is going to happen where the sacrifice is stopped, true worship is stopped, and this individual, this human being, raises himself up or is raised up and causes the world literally to begin worshiping him as if he was as if he were God. Some scholars will say that this has already taken place. Some scholars will say that this is a time that's coming in the future. We're not looking at any of that this morning. I just wanted you to be aware of what that term antichrist means. If you've read the books, the Left Behind series, you've read somebody's philosophy of what the end times might look like. Um, years, years ago, 40 years ago in the, in the 1970s, there was a lot of stuff about the end times and, and the rapture and, and then the antichrist setting up and the mark of the beast and all of, you've heard lots of different things. Well, all I'm, I'm saying all of that only to help you understand what we're reading this morning in the book of 1 John, okay? So looking at Mark chapter 13, when Jesus was speaking, the Greek word that was translated antichrist or false Christ is the Greek word pseudo-Christo, false Christ. In 1 John, the Greek word that has been translated antichrist is 
anti-Christos, against Christ. There is a distinct difference between the two. Pseudo-Christo is someone pretending to be, someone putting on a show, acting as if they are, but they are false. Anti-Christos is someone who is against Christ. Someone who is not trying to pretend to be Christ, but it's someone who is against everything that Christ is and Christ stands for. So there's a distinct difference between that. But now go back to John chapter 2, verse 18. He says, children, it is the last hour. Talk about the end of the age or the end of time or whatever. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming... Okay, And when he says that part, he says, when you hear that Antichrist is coming, he's referring back to this abomination that causes desolation from, De- from Daniel. Or what Jesus talked about, this false Christ. And he said, as you've heard that that's coming, because it's the end of times, I'm telling you that many Antichrists have come. So he's using a play on words here. He is not talking about the end time Antichrist that has the beast that sets up the new world order and the new economy and all of that stuff. That is part of theology, but that's not what John is talking about here in this chapter, in this, in this section. What he's saying is there have been a group of people who were part of us who have left our fellowship and are teaching false things. They are teaching things that are anti-Christian. And you will find, if you did a word study, the word antichristos only appears in John's writings. Only in 1 John and in 2 John. And it only appears four times. We've already read two of them. John chapter 2, verse 18. John chapter 2, verse 22. Let's look at what John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 says. And I'm actually going to read the first five or six verses. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. <coughs> test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And verse three, which is the one we're looking at. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God excuse me, that does not confess Jesus, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. But he uses this word antichristos here in chapter 4 verse verse 3. Again to talk about this concept that they say Jesus did not come in the flesh. Jesus was not the Christ, he was not the anointed one, not the Messiah, and he did not come in the flesh. Those are the two teachings that John is saying these antichrists are out there teaching. And then finally, 2 John, and there's only one chapter in 2 John, 2 John chapter 1, verse 7. He says, 
For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And again, this is not talking about this person that shows up at the end of the world and sets up their own worship in the temple. This is talking about people who are denying the incarnation. They are denying the the messiahship of Christ. John says to them in chapter 16, same John that wrote 1 John, John records Jesus' words in chapter 16, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth. And if you go back to John 16, we don't have time this morning to go back and read the whole chapter, but chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 are the discourse that Jesus that John recorded of Jesus talking to his disciples just before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, following the Last Supper. These are the last bits of instruction that John, that Jesus gave to his disciples and John recorded in his gospel. And what Jesus was saying here was, I am leaving. I am going to go to the Father. If I didn't go to the Father, the Comforter, the Advocate, the Paraclete could not come. But when the Paraclete comes, the Spirit of Truth comes, He will lead you into all truth. So the promise we have from Jesus in the last hours of His time with His disciples is, I'm leaving the earth, but I will not leave you alone. I will send you my Spirit what we call the Holy Spirit, what some people call the Holy Ghost. If you go to Galatians chapter 4, you'll see that it is actually the Spirit of Christ, which we don't have time theologically to go into that this morning. But understand that we have the presence of God with us based on the word of Jesus himself. Now, let's look at another passage that talks about this Jesus, this Holy Spirit of God that is present with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said, as he was talking to the Corinthians, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and has who has also put his seal on us, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And what Paul is talking about the way he is talking about what's going. He's saying, I've been anointed. There's this, this, this presence and spirit of God that has come on me and it has literally sealed me and it's acting like a deposit or a guarantee for what is to come. But Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of God to you. And then in John chapter 20, after Jesus' resurrection, he actually breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, in Acts chapter 2, we see it coming as a mighty western wind. Paul talks about being anointed or sealed with the presence of God. The word here is kind of like smearing. It's like taking, taking Crisco, if you will, an oil, but it's more of a solid oil, and smearing it on, an unction. Uh, uh, it, that's, that's the term unction. It, it's another way of, of saying this is, has unctioned us. But it's the Holy Spirit coming on, sealing, poured out on us, anointed. Um, then, it's my next note. Ah, and so going back to 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27, we see where he says, 
But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. And then verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. So what John is saying here in chapter 2 of 1 John is this chrisma, and that may sound something similar to what you've heard even in modern days of charisma or charismatic, and what that is is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God on the people of God. So John is using the term, the Greek term charisma, where there's this pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God, this this anointing of the Holy Spirit of God for a specific purpose. Now Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, I will send the Spirit so that you will know the truth because he will lead you into all truth. John here in his letter to his church where there's been some problems says the Holy Spirit of God has been poured out on you. Why? So that you will know the truth. You will have knowledge. And then I want us to take a second and go to the Nicene Creed. Okay, it's in your hymnals. We've read it numerous times. Yes, we've read it over and over and over again. But it's important that you know these words. And that's one of the reasons why I have us read it so often. I want you to look with me at just the first half of it. The Nicene Creed is one of the most ancient Christian creeds that all Christians agree upon as far as our theology and what we believe about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And it says in the Nicene Creed, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. And then it goes on. There are two distinct things in this Nicene Creed that relate to what we've been talking about so far this morning. Number one, Jesus the Christ, the Holy One of God, is the begotten Son of God. He is divine. He is the same. He is of the same substance with the Father. He was from the beginning. Before anything was created, Jesus was. In addition to that, we believe as Christians that God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, impregnated Mary and Christ, Jesus Christ, became in flesh. He, the incarnation took place. We can't explain it. We can't reason it out. We just have to come to an understanding that when God caused Mary's womb to be fertilized, somehow, someway, the very divinity of God infused with the humanity of Jesus and to get, and it all became one God-man. And it's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to reconcile that with our reason. It is a matter of faith. It is a mystical thing. 
It is something that you must believe if you call yourself a Christian. And so what John is saying to his, his people in this church, that apparently there was some kind of a struggle going on. There were people who had been under John's leading, I mean John's teaching from the very beginning, and for whatever reason, they have rejected the truth that John taught them, that Jesus was the very Son of God, that Jesus was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of God through the Virgin Mary, and was made human. These are two distinct beliefs that you must adhere to to call yourself a Christian. If you don't believe those things, you are not Christ. I mean, you are not a Christian. It says right here in 1 John chapter 2, if you deny this, you don't have the Father. If you say you have the Father and you deny it, you're a liar. And it says that you who are Christians know it. There's something interesting about that, and that's the thing that I focused on as I was reflecting and and thinking about and, and chewing on. Why were these words important? Because we've said this, I've said this in the past, uh, when I when we've studied any book of the Bible, parchment wasn't cheap. So for someone to record on a piece of parchment, or not parchment, but the, whatever the roll, the scroll was that, that they used, for them to write it down and re-record it and make multiple copies and send it out, it had to be important. And they didn't just fluffy use words. They, there was, they had to be careful with the amount of words that they used because it was expensive to produce these things. So why were these words important for the Christians in wherever this church was located? And what I what I came up with in my chewing on this was something had happened in the fellowship where people, whether it was leaders in the group or just people in the group, but it seems like they were somebody significant, somebody who had influence. Somebody got bad theology. He calls them antichristos, against Christ. These people, whoever they were, were teaching there was no, Jesus was not the anointed one, the Messiah. And Jesus most certainly wasn't God in flesh. And John is saying, Jesus himself told us these things. And he, from the very beginning of this whole Christian thing, which I'm a direct eyewitness of, and I gave you when I first came into contact with you folks, you have, you have from the horse's mouth, if you will, the direct words of Jesus. From the very beginning. And don't tell me that you don't know deep down in your heart the truth. Because I know if you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit of God. And if you've got the Holy Spirit of God, and it, I know because Jesus told us, the Holy Spirit of God will lead you into all truth. Therefore, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God. If you've got the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God is witnessing with your spirit. You know the truth. And that truth is, He was the Anointed One. And He was indeed Incarnate. God incarnate. 
And these are two truths you cannot deny and still pretend to be a Christian. And these people who came out from us and separated from us and are now have their own second church of the whatever it is, don't follow that. Do not let yourself be pulled away from what you know to be the truth. And literally at the very end of his of this little passage, chapter, I mean, verse 27. The anointing you receive from him, the Holy Spirit, abides in you. You have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, live it. Abide in him. Why are these words so important? Obviously, they were important for this group because something was going on that was causing problems and John needed to address to correct them. But why did God the Holy Spirit ordain that these words would come down through the millennia to us? Why, if I'm a Christian, are these words important to me? And I will tell you, the, the thoughts that I've had over the last number of days are, number one, I believe these indeed are the end days. Is indeed Jesus going to come back in 25 years or 10 minutes or 70? I don't know. But oh my word, I see the culture of our world falling away from the truth. Walking away from everything that we understand as Christians to be true. Just drive down the road. People passing you on curves. People passing you when there's double yellow lines. It's all about me and me and me. How dare you be in my way when I'm trying to get someplace. Break the law. Who cares about the law? I need to be someplace. Now, multiply that over and over and over again into all of our culture, in all of our aspects of our society, and you see a constant me, 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 me. And what is the Christ's response? Selflessness. Giving of myself, whether you deserve it or not. Loving you, whether you deserve it or not. Blessing my enemies. That's what Jesus asked us to do. That's what he commands us to do. If someone slaps you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Offer them the other one to slap. If someone says, you are going to walk a mile with me, what are you supposed to do? Offer to go another mile. This doesn't make sense to the human mindset, to the worldly mindset, to the anti-Christos philosophy. But if you call yourself a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you call yourself a child of God, then that truth that the Holy Spirit of God is whispering to you constantly rings through and says, don't live like that, live like this. And the reason I think it's so important even for now for us to live, and I mean to, to be careful with these words and to chew on them and to understand them, is because our culture is literally going down the drain. They are falling away from God more and more and more and more. 
And the only way, the only way that you can not succumb to that is to get closer and closer and closer to God. To know His Word, to be able to hear His voice, to discern when He's talking to you. I will tell you, there was a song we sang this morning that as I was singing the words of it, I was thinking to myself, Lord, do I really believe this? I literally was thinking that as we were singing the song. Lord, do I really believe what I'm singing? Because I'm still, after 40 some years of walking with Christ, I am still trying to understand and re- and, 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 and solidify what my theology is. Because it is a mystery. There are things that I just can't get. But I'm trying to understand more and more and more and more. But the one thing I need to guard against is listening to anything that is anti-Christ. Not allowing that to even have a foothold or a toehold or a claw into anything of me. Because the enemy, the whole thing of the enemy is that he is about stealing and killing and destroying because of his hatred for God. Because of his jealousy for God, he wants to do anything and everything he can to destroy. Imagine what would happen if after 15 years of solid, good, public ministry in this community, I had an affair and divorced my wife. What would happen to the witness of Christ in this community? Now, I'm not saying I'm all that in a bag of chips, because I'm not. But the reality is, there are people out in that community that look at me and say, That's Pastor Bob. He's a good Christian man. And if I were to walk away from Christ because I did not guard my heart and be careful, the end result was the enemy could do incredible damage to the kingdom of God. Not just me and my family. Not just this local church. But literally, my public witness, if I were to walk away from the truth of the gospel... It could affect other people who are still trying to sort it out for themselves. That's why it's so important that you know what you know and you hold on to what you know and you believe what you know. And you always use the litmus paper, if you will, of the witness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never, first of all, never, ever, ever deny or or, or or, or contradict what's in here. But in addition to that, there is, I can't explain it, I just know that I've experienced it. There is that sense when, when truth is present. There's that sense when this rings true, I know that God has spoken this. I can't explain it, I just know. It's like I was trying to say to the kids, you can't see the wind, but you can feel it. And you can recognize it when you're feeling it. It's the same way. You can recognize when God's Holy Spirit is whispering to you saying, this is truth. For those of you who know the truth, guard it. Hold on to it. Do not allow the enemy to try and dissuade you from the truth. For those of you who don't know the truth and you're still sorting it out for yourself, be careful with what you pick up. Trust that God has protected his word that you can see truth here, talk to people that you know are Christians, because they're going to do everything they can to guide you to truth, and then pray. I'm going to leave you with one last thing, and then we're done. Years and years and years ago, I was in Bible college, 20 years ago now, 
And for a short period of time, before my wife and kids drew, moved up to Colorado, I was living with my cousin who lived just west of Denver. And one Saturday morning, his wife and I and he were sitting having breakfast in their, in their house, and all of a sudden he began to feel crushing pain right in the center of his chest. And so we jumped into the vehicle, his wife uh, got, was driving, he was sitting in the passenger seat, I was in the back, and we drove as fast as we could down the mountain into the heart of Denver to get him to an emergency room. And he went back. And his wife and I were sitting in the waiting room and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, as our conversation was just just talking, we got on the subject of God because she wasn't a Christian. And we got on the subject of God. And uh, I wasn't trying to witness to her. I was just, we were just talking. And the question came up, how do you know that God is real? And number two, how do you know which one to believe in? I mean, she asked that question of me in the waiting room in the hospital. And I'm like, oh God, what do I say? I don't want to say the wrong thing and guide her the wrong way. And I was like, God, what do I say? Inside, I'm screaming, I'm God, I don't know what to say. And the Lord said, ask her, I mean, tell her to ask me who I am. I'll reveal myself to her. And my first thought was, what if she hears the wrong thing? And the Lord was like, if somebody asks me to reveal myself to them, you don't think I'm powerful enough to do it in a way that's convincing? You think the enemy can sneak in and steal that from me? No. Then tell her, ask me who I am and I'll reveal myself to her. Okay. Now all of this happened in a split second. I mean, it was just... And I, asked, I said the words to her. I said, well... You want to know who God is? Ask him who he is and listen to what he is, what he says. He'll reveal himself to you. Still going, what if he hears wrong? But see, the Holy Spirit of God, the whole point of the Holy Spirit of God is to, to, to lead us into truth. So if somebody asks God, show me who you truly are, I think God is capable of leading them to the truth. And once they have the truth, then it's our job to help nurture and then see that grow. And as mature Christians, it's our responsibility to hold on to what we know is truth and to make sure that we never become careless with it. To never let any heresy or false teaching come in. Now, how do you do that? You continue to say, Father, I just read this article. Does it ring true with what your word says? I seem to think it does, but Father, is there anything about this that I'm reading that is not right or true according to you? Would you show me, please? Oh, right there, yeah. See, God himself can tell you, and you can know if there's something wrong. And then you can just say, no, I'm not going to own that. I'm going to keep that out. (coughs) Excuse me. I think I said what I needed to say. I don't want to just keep beating the same bush. But what I, I just to, to close this all up, I want to say, God, would you please lead each one of us into truth? Lord, there are, uh, there's 20 people in this room, 25 people in this room. I do not know where each and every one of them is spiritually. 
But I ask, Father, that you would reveal yourself to them and that they would know the truth. And as the word of God says, that truth would set them free. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.